Welcome to our lesson this week. Where I'm your instructor, Dr. D. Todd Harrison, as we continue to feast upon the words of Jesus Christ as taught in the Holy Scriptures. What a glorious gospel message we will have once again today as we look at many of the advanced doctrines of the kingdom, doctrines of which very few people upon the earth know. When you go to the malls, when you go to uh, different universities around the world, when you walk down the street, the people you come into contact with have no idea about these most plain and precious, glorious truths of salvation, of exaltation, of thrones, dominions, principalities, of all things becoming joint heirs with Jesus Christ and joint heirs with God, our eternal Father. Welcome today to our glorious uh, doctrinal message as we will sit again at the feet of Jesus Christ speaking to his prophet, the prophet Joseph Smith, revealing the things that the eye hath not seen, nor the ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man what glorious things God has prepared for those who love him, for those who desire to keep his commandments, for those who come unto him. Of that same Jesus Christ, I testify that he is our Lord, our God, and our King. He rose from the dead on the third day. He lives today. Of that you can be assured. He lives, he is as real and alive as the sun shines in the sky, as the moon shines at night. So Jesus Christ is alive and sitting at the right hand of his heavenly Father in their heavenly temple in magnificent glory and dominion with angels sitting around their throne singing hallelujah to the lamb that was slain from before the foundation of this world. What a glorious scene that is. What a glorious scene that the prophet John, the apostle John in the New Testament had in the book of Revelation. And that same vision, that beatific vision has been seen by many other faithful saints and prophets and apostles of God throughout history. And of this Glorious truths, I testify. Our Heavenly Father lives, Jesus lives, and they called their prophet, their servant, the prophet Joseph Smith, to become the prophet of this, the last dispensation, to restore their glorious gospel upon the earth, to restore the fullness of the gospel truth. And of that, we witness and we declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And let's look today at today's lesson. We're looking at sections 129 to 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants. It's going to be glorious again. We have the first couple of uh, sections in which uh, we're uh, composed of different teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, of revelations he had received from God containing these advanced theological, beautiful doctrines of the kingdom. Then we'll have a section also of Jesus Christ once again speaking to his prophet, the prophet Joseph Smith. In that beautiful revelation again, Jesus Christ will declare his, his testimony, his witness concerning the truthfulness of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that it is his church, that it is his only living and true church upon the face of the earth, that Joseph Smith was his mighty prophet and servant of God. He does that multiple times again today. We're not going to have a chance to look at each of those verses but read them for yourself again as he'll declare. I forgot to count it up at the beginning of today, but 
It looks like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen more additional witnesses of Jesus Christ declaring that Joseph Smith was his prophet, that Joseph Smith was his servant. Let's read and study these glorious gospel truths, beginning in section 129, and let's look at verses 1 through 3. There are two kinds of beings in heaven. So he's going to declare and teach as to what kinds of angels there are. Namely, angels who are resurrected personages, having bodies of flesh and bones. When you get resurrected, you receive a body of flesh and bone. So has the Father in heaven. So has the Son, Jesus Christ. So have the this class of angels. They've lived upon the earth at some point in time in its history. We're not told when or how long or or what uh, epoch of time, but at some point they lived upon the earth, became resurrected, and have uh, resurrected body of flesh and bones. He says, for example, and he uses this as an example of Jesus. For instance, Jesus said, and it references uh, uh, Luke here in uh, verse 2 here, uh, for uh, in uh, Luke 24, 39. For instance, Jesus said, handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Secondly, the spirits of just man made perfect. They who are not resurrected but inherit the same glory. They have not yet been resurrected, but they were. They live righteous lives. God's continuing to use them as his messengers, as his angels. That's what an angel is, a messenger of God, to declare the glad tidings of the gospel joy to the uh, people upon the earth and while the, until the time in which they will be resurrected. He says here, uh, so then he, it, it teaches him here uh, uh, three grand keys to know if, if you were to have a uh, personage of light appear to you, declaring themselves to be an angel, how do you know whether they're an angel or not? So here he talks about that. And he says, well, you know, if it's a resurrected angel, you know, you'll offer to shake his hand. He'll be able to shake your hand. You remember the devil, Lucifer, Satan, and his one-third of the hosts of heaven were denied bodies when they were cast out of heaven upon the earth. So, therefore, Satan does not have a body. If you a person appears to you as a resurrected personage of spirit, of glory, and declares himself to be an angel, Offer your hand. If they shake your hand, you know that that's a true messenger of God. He says then, for those who are the just man made perfect, who are still waiting to be resurrected, they only have a body of spirit. Therefore, they cannot shake your hand, and they will not. They will just continue to present their message. Satan, however, is under some sort of obligation that if you offer your hand to him, he has to try to shake it. But because he does not have a body of flesh and bones, he's not going to be able to shake your hand. And therefore, you'll know that it's a, the devil or an evil spirit. So that takes care of section 129. 130, got some great teachings here. Let's look at the one through three. When the Savior shall appear, we shall see him as he is. We shall see that he is a man like ourselves, a, a resurrected being of flesh and bones, not some sort of floating essence that floats around in space that has three heads uh, combined with uh, 
a three-headed monster of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost coming out of one body, uh, all this ridiculous nonsense that God himself declared in the first vision to the prophet Joseph Smith are an abomination in his sight. He will not, uh, uh, you know, Jesus will not appear that way, right? He will appear as a man like us. We are told in Genesis 1, 26, mankind was created in the image of God. If we're not a three-headed monster, neither is God the Father and neither is God the Son. He says, in that same sociality, which exists among us here, will exist among us there, only it will be coupled with eternal glory, which glory we do not now enjoy. Eternal glory, eternal happiness with uh, socializing with our friends, our family, our wives, our husbands. The appearing of the Father and Son in John 14, 23, that if a man loves him, he will keep his commandments so that then the Father will love him and will come with Jesus and appear to them. He says that the appearing of the Father and the Son in that verse is a personal appearance. And the idea that the Father and the Son dwell in a man's heart is an old sectarian notion and is false. So in this section is Joseph Smith's words that we've seen in you know, just by every prior section of Doctrine and Covenants is Jesus Christ speaking to his prophet. When Jesus Christ speaks to his prophet, he speaks as he did in the first vision. He declares that these sectarian notions, these creeds of, of false Christendom, who believe that the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost are spirits, that they are not resurrected uh, beings with flesh and bones, that uh, there are three in one and one in three and black and white and, and uh, all visible and not visible, all this ridiculous notions, as an abomination in his sight, that those who teach such doctrines are corrupt, that they honor God with their mouths, but their hearts are far from him. That's what Jesus Christ says about it. When the prophet Joseph Smith talks about it, he just simply says that this uh, idea that the father and son dwell in a man's heart is an old sectarian notion and is false. Okay, so then we talk about uh, God's time and angels' time and prophets' time, man's time, according to the planet in which they reside? And they, the answer is yes. They have different times, and it's, the planets have different times, and it's a, the, the time will be according to that planet. Says, uh, uh, you know, and, and we learn that in the, the epistle of, uh, of Peter, right? That one day to the Lord is as a thousand years upon the earth. So when uh, Jesus has been gone for 2,000 years, since his death and resurrection, it's only been two days in heaven. Okay, so then he talks about the angels do not reside on a planet like this earth, verse 7, but they reside in the presence of God on a globe like a sea of glass and fire, where all things for their glory are manifest, past, present, and future, and are continually before the Lord. The place where God resides is a great Urim and Thummim. Now, this is in 1843. This is long before where physicists, physicists now are catching up to these ideas. Advanced theoretical physics now talks about how time exists, the future, the present, and the past all exist right now. And in, in that you can, in theory, step into the past, come back out of time, step into the present, come out. If you want to appear in the year 
2030, you can step into 2030, you can step into 2040, you can step into 2200, you can step into 960 BC. All of this, you know, when Joseph Smith said this, he would have seemed to be, uh, you know, a crazy lunatic, right? But once again, time vindicates the prophets. Every time God has commanded his prophets to teach doctrines that are not yet verifiable by science, over time, may take a couple hundred years or more, but over time, their words are vindicated through advanced knowledge and science and, and other uh, of the uh, uh, knowledge of man coming forth to prove this. So now we know that that's indeed true, that the angels indeed can look into this sea of glass and fire and see things past, present, and future. They're always continually before the Lord. Look at verse 9. This earth in a sanctified and immortal state will be made like unto crystal and will also become a Urim and Thumb to the inhabitants who dwell thereon, whereby all things pertaining to an inferior kingdom or all kingdoms of a lower order will be manifest to those who dwell on it, and this earth will be Christ. Christ will come back and reign. This earth, this earth will become the celestial kingdom. Christ will reign here, and it will be this uh, crystal and the Urim and Thummim. The people, the inhabitants, can look into the earth and see these things belonging to the lower order of kingdoms. Now, look at the next verse here, right? Verse ten. Then the white stone mentioned in Revelation two seventeen. That same white stone that no Christian commentators know how to even describe or talk about at all in their commentaries on the book of Revelation. They have no idea what this white stone is. Here we're going to get further details about it. And it will become a Urim and Thummim to each individual who receives one, whereby things pertaining to a higher order of kingdoms will be made known. And the white stone is given to each of those who come into the celestial kingdom, whereon is a new name written, which no man knoweth save he that receiveth it. The new name is the keyword. Okay, so the earth becomes in a sanctified state, a Yerman Thummim, a sea of glass. We can look into it, see things belonging to a lower order of kingdoms. We're given the white stone mentioned in Revelation 2.17 that Jesus Christ in Revelation 2.17 promises to all those who overcome this world, whereon a new name is written on it. The only person knows what the name is, he that receives it, can get this white stone and look into it and see things belonging to the higher order of kingdoms. Higher than the celestial kingdom. You'll be in the celestial kingdom studying and learning through this white stones, the things belonging to the higher order of kingdoms. We're told very little about it in canonized scripture. The early Christians talked a lot about those higher order of kingdoms in, in some of their writings. And so here God just hints again, you know, just always hints sometimes, you know, about these blessings, you know, because he's so anxious, so anxious to bless you with, with all these great blessings that, you know, he, he has a hard time keeping them secret, right? And so every now and then he lets them out a little piece here or there because he's so excited. He wants to tell us, even though we can't comprehend it or understand it at this time, he wants to reveal it. So he just, here's a, a thing where he talks about there's higher or kingdoms above that of the celestial kingdom. We focus mainly in, in, in the church and in doctrine about talking about the celestial kingdom. 
because that's as far as we can go immediately from this earth, right? Upon this earth, we can become, you know, make it to the celestial kingdom. It would take some time, as the prophet Joseph Smith taught, before we can then advance, you know, to these higher orders of kingdom. We'll get, be given this great white stone in which we can learn and study those things until we're ready to progress and move on. Okay, he says here, I prophesy in verse 12. We've seen this before. There were already multiple references to the forthcoming civil war in which the northern states will fight the southern states over the issue of slavery. I prophesy in the name of the Lord God that the commencement of the difficulties which will cause much bloodshed previous to the coming of the Son of Men will be in South Carolina. It will probably arise through the slave question. This a voice declared to me while I was praying earnestly on the subject, December 25th of 1832. Once again, prophecy made by the prophet Joseph Smith, prophecy fulfilled. It says here in uh, verse 14, I was once praying very earnestly to know the time of the coming of the Son of Man. When is the second coming going to be? Even the prophet Joseph Smith wanted to know that. When I heard a voice repeat the following, Joseph, my son, if thou livest until thou art 85 years old, thou shalt see the face of the Son of Man. Therefore, let this suffice and trouble me no more on this matter. Well, what does that mean, right? He'd already seen Jesus Christ in the first vision. He'd already seen him in, in the Kirtland Temple and, and had, uh, you know, uh, other the, the, the sightings of Jesus, uh, old Oliver Cowdery with Sidney Rigdon alone in the in the uh, in the in the woods in New York for the first vision, and who knows, however many other times he saw Jesus Christ. So he says, "I was th left thus without being able to decide whether this coming referred to the beginning of the millennium, when the, if, if I made it to eighty-five years old, would the millennium start, or to some previous appearing." or whether I should die and thus see his face. I believe the coming of the Son of Man will not be any sooner than that time. Prophecy by the prophet Joseph Smith that the coming of the Son of Man would not be before the time he was 85. Literally, once again, Joseph Smith makes a prophecy. Prophecy is fulfilled. Now look at 18. Whatever principle of intelligence we attain unto in this life, it will rise with us in the resurrection. And if a person gains more knowledge and intelligence in this life through his diligence and obedience than another, he will have so much the advantage in the world to come. We're told throughout the scriptures, the glory of God is intelligence. The reason that God is God and man is man is that God is far more intelligent than us. We're told in Isaiah, his thoughts are higher than, than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. We're told that in the book of Abraham, chapter 3, right, that this facts exist. There's always one spirit uh, more intelligent than another until you come to I, God. I am more intelligent than they all, right? So the importance of, of learning knowledge and, and becoming like God through gaining knowledge and that the more advantage you'll have in the world to come. It's just a simple thing, just kind of like in, investing, right? If uh, somebody has $100 and they double it and they gain 100% on that $100, they have $200. If one person starts with only $1 and 
and they double it and gain 100%, they only have $2. So somebody who has $1 equivalent of, of knowledge in the next life, when they double that knowledge, they now have $2. But the person who had $100 doubles their knowledge, they have $200. So it began $100 to $1, a $99 difference. But now you got 200 compared to two. And so now this person is $198 equivalent in, in greater knowledge. And so even if we learn faster in, as a resurrected being than, we, than we're learning here on the earth, those who've gone through and studied and worked hard throughout their life to learn will be, have that much advantage. They'll always be doubling at a much rate, growing further apart in their knowledge uh, based on, on just that simple uh, principle. And, you know, it's tough, right? A lot of people like to come home from work or st studying. They like to, uh, you know, from college or whatever. And the last thing they want to do is study the scriptures and read church books. You know, they want to just sit down on on the, on the a chair or on their couch and, you know, watch TV or, you know, listen to the radio or something like that. It takes, uh, you know, he says here, the knowledge and diligence through his diligence and obedience than another. So, you need to go out of the way to learn and to ask God to help you learn to love knowledge, to learn to love to gain wisdom and intelligence so that you can have this advantage in the world to come. And he says here in verse 20, there is a law irrevocably decreed in heaven for the foundations of the world upon which all blessings are predicated. And when we obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated. The Father, here we go again, to uh, establish true knowledge of God. The Father has a body of flesh and bones, as tangible as man's. The Son also. But the Holy Ghost has not a body of flesh and bones, but is a personage of spirit. Were it not so, the Holy Ghost could not dwell in us. And man re received the Holy Ghost, and it may descend upon him and not tarry with him. So bo father, body, flesh and bones. Son, flesh and bones. Spirit, that's the one that's floating around that can dwell in people's hearts. It's not the father and son that dwells in people's hearts, as we also looked at in the prior uh, 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 verse 3, right? And which is taught as a you know, false doctrine taught in other Christian churches. It's the Holy Ghost that dwells in man's heart, not the Father and the Son, for they have bodies of flesh and bones. And how sad, verse 23, that a man may receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and it may even descend upon him, but may not tarry with him. If he's not, if he doesn't keep his uh, temple, his body, his temple of God clean and pure. And uh, for a place for the Holy Ghost to dwell, the Holy Ghost is going to leave them, right? And what a sad thing it is to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, to have the Holy Ghost descend upon you, and then have the Holy Ghost not tarry and, and, and leave you, right? Okay, now we'll look here at uh, section 131. Again, a more glorious doctrine, just really, here's the advanced level, advanced theological lesson of the uh, Doctrine and Covenants, learning all kinds of great things here. In the celestial glory, there are three heavens or degrees. So before we looked at, there's a telestial kingdom, a terrestrial kingdom, and a celestial kingdom. 
three kingdoms of glory. These are exactly mentioned by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, that there's a glory of the sun, the celestial, the moon, the terrestrial, and the stars, the telestial. Well, now we're learning furthermore that in the celestial kingdom, there's three levels of glory. And then he says here, in order to obtain the highest, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood, meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. He or uh, he and she need to be sealed under the power and priesthood of authority of God in the holy temples as husband and wife. Three, and if he does not, he cannot obtain it. He may enter into the other, the low, the first level or the second level of the celestial kingdom, but that is the end of his kingdom. He cannot have an increase. The increase being having spirit children. That's only going to come to those who make it to the third level, the highest level of the celestial kingdom. Now he talks about what does the more sure word of prophecy mean when Peter talked about in, in the second Peter, for example. It says the more sure word of prophecy means a man's knowing that he is sealed up into eternal life by revelation and the spirit of prophecy through the power of the holy priesthood. We saw this last year in the Book of Mormon, that a lot of the Book of Mormon prophets had God speak to them to tell them that they shall be saved, they shall be exalted, they shall return to Heavenly Father's presence. So they knew through the spirit of revelation and, and prophecy that they are sealed up into eternal life. That's what the sure word of prophecy is. That was what all of us must do, continue to feast upon the words of Christ and continue to strive our best to form ourselves through the help of the Holy Ghost to become fashioned into the image of Jesus Christ until the day comes in which the Heavenly Father will speak to us and tell us, son or daughter, thou shalt be exalted. It is impossible for a man to be saved in ignorance. There is no such thing as immaterial matter. Even a spirit is, is a, as he says here, is matter, right? Spirit can touch spirit. It's just that we cannot touch a spirit, but a spirit can touch other spirit and so forth. It is a form of matter. But it is more finer, pure, and can only be discerned by pure eyes. We cannot see it, but when our bodies are purified, we shall see that it is all matter. So what a great, more advanced theoretical physics and stuff that's being taught in the 1840s, right? Not 2020 and 2021. Okay, let's look at section 132, the great revelation on celestial marriage. Excuse me for one moment. Okay, let's look at section 132. We're back now. This is not just teachings of the prophet Joe Smith written down by one of his scribes. The Lord is again now speaking to his prophet. Let's look here at uh, verse uh, 1. Verily thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Joseph. Again, Jesus Christ declaring his witness. Joseph Smith is his prophet, his servant. He's now done that over 92 times since the section 41 when we started counting and writing it down each week. He says that inasmuch as you've inquired of my hand to know and understand, wherein I, the Lord, justified my servants. And so he starts to talk about this doctrine of the uh, celestial marriage, uh, of uh, marriage. And let's look now at uh, 
at verse uh, 3 through 6. Therefore prepare thy heart to receive and obey the instructions which I'm about to give unto you. And that's the way it is. And that's how it is every time we open the scriptures. We should be, as he says here, prepare our hearts and obey, be willing to obey what we're about to be taught by Jesus Christ. He says, uh, uh, you know, that for uh, all those who have this law revealed unto them, must obey the same. For behold, I reveal unto you a new and everlasting covenant. And if ye abide not that covenant, then ye are damned. If, if, if you do not get married in the temple under the priest and authority of God, you shall be damned, right? I looked at damnation as a little bit different than what the apostate Christian world think it is. They think it means going to hell. We looked before that... Uh, Pretty much most of all mankind shall be saved in some sort of kingdom, whether the telestial kingdom or the terrestrial kingdom or the celestial kingdom. Uh, but that for God, anything that where your eternal progression is stopped is damnation, damned up. A wall, you know, separate, you know, containing the water, for example, being a, you know, a dam, you know, it stops your your eternal progression. Uh, the only way to continue on is to be able to have spirit children and to uh, populate the, the worlds without number. Uh, but if you don't qualify for that level of glory, and, and uh, then you shall be damned. So those who live in the uh, middle celestial kingdom or the lowest level of celestial kingdom on down are living in damnation. They are damned. And so that's what he's saying here, that those who don't uh, abide by the... Uh, uh, by temple marriage shall be damned. They shall have no increase. Okay, let's look now at 7 through 12. And verily I say unto you that the conditions of this law are these. All covenants, contracts, bonds, obligations, oaths, vows, performances, connections, associations, or expectations that are not made and entered into and sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise of him who was appointed both as well for time and for all eternity and that too most holy by revelation and commandment through the medium of mine anointed whom I have appointed on the earth to hold this power and I have appointed my servant Joseph Smith to hold this power in the last days and there is never but one on the earth at a time on whom this power and the keys of this priesthood are conferred, today that is Russell M. Nelson, and are of no efficacy, virtue, or force in and after the resurrection from the dead. For all contracts that are not made unto this end have an end when men are dead. Because if your covenants, whether baptism, uh, uh, anointings, uh, whatever it is, if, if it's not performed in the temple, by those who hold the priest and authority of God and, and are appointed to officiate under the direction of the current prophet and president of the church, that those are not valid once you leave this earth. So well said is there is false apostate Christianity's uh, uh, marriage vows that until death do you part, because that's what happens, right? When they die, death does do them part. They are not sealed up into eternal life as husband and wife. They leave this uh, earth. They are not recognized by God as being a husband and wife. 
And so he comes over that. He comes back to that same thing, and he teaches it over and over and over again in these uh, verses here in section 132. So I think we can skip here. He's going to say it again, you know, uh, multiple times. Uh, it's verse 13, again, he's going to mention it. And um, verse 15, again, Therefore, if a man marry him a wife in the world, and he may marry her not by me nor by my word, and he covenant with her so long as he is in the world, and she with him, their covenant marriage are not a force when they are dead, and when they are out of the world, therefore they are not bound by any law when they are out of the world. He's, he said it now, what, three times, four times? He's over and over again. Again, 16. Therefore, when they are out of the world, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are appointed angels in heaven which angels are ministering servants to minister for those who are worthy of a far more and an exceeding and an eternal weight of glory. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, how, how could he say it any better than that, right? 17, for these angels did not abide my law. Therefore, they cannot be enlarged. They cannot have a spirit children, eternal increase, but remain separately and singly. Alone, single, right? Not married, single, without exaltation. In their safe condition, they're saved. Anyone, celestial kingdom, terrestrial, and, and so forth, are saved. They're just not exalted. To all eternity and from henceforth are not gods, but are angels of God forever and ever. And so he just keeps going over this. Anytime he keeps repeating the same thing over and over again, you know, he's trying to really get people to know. They know that if he mentions the, the, the way humans learn, if they mention one one thing, you know, one time, odds are they're not going to remember it. So that's why a lot of times in scriptures he hammers it over and over again, continues to, to, to teach and teach and teach and teach the same doctrine over and over and over again, the importance of being married in the temple, being married by those who hold the priest and authority of God. So that it can be sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. So that you can be exalted. So that you can have eternal increase. So that you can have spirit children. Over and over again, he continues to declare this. Let's look now at um, 19 here. He says, and again, verily I say unto you, if a man marry a wife by my word, which is my law, and by the new and everlasting covenant. So to get married in the temple. And it is sealed unto them by the Holy Spirit of promise. By him who is appointed. Unto whom I have appointed this power and the keys of this priesthood. The president of the church. Or to those he's delegated this power and authority. And it shall be said unto them. Ye shall come forth in the first resurrection. And if it be after the first resurrection, so if it's during the millennium and the first resurrection has already taken place, in the next resurrection, and shall inherit, here's the greatest blessings that God has in store for his faithful, thrones, kingdoms, principalities, and powers, dominions, all heights and depths, and, and depths. then shall it be written in the Lamb's book of life that he or she shall commit no murder whereby to shed innocent blood. And if ye abide in my covenant and commit no murder whereby to shed innocent blood, 
It shall be done unto them in all things whatsoever my servants have put upon them in time and through all eternity, and shall be a full force when they are out of the world. They will be seen as husband and wife to God, and they shall pass by the angels and the gods which are set there to their exaltation and glory in all things, as hath been sealed upon their heads, which glory shall be a fullness and a continuation of the seeds forever and ever. Is there anything more glorious than that doctrine? Anything, it's incredible to think about it. And yet the false apostate Christianity churches, what do they teach? You get a cloud and a harp or a cloud and a, and a, you know, and a flute or a trumpet, right? But what if you're scared of heights? You know, do you really want a cloud? And, you know, and, and what if you don't play musical instruments, you know? And so what they teach is really a blasphemous uh, doctrine because they don't understand the truth. And they've never felt the Holy Ghost revealed to them by his spirit of revelation, these glorious things that God hath in store for his children. It teaches in the scriptures that God is a God of love. Well, a God of love, a heavenly father who loves his children, would want them to do even better than he. He would want them to end up with more than what he hath. Just like a good father or mother upon the earth want their children to grow up to be better than they are and to accomplish more things in life. So would a father in heaven who's of pure love. So a, a pure love, a, a, a God of love is not going to say, I'm going to enjoy all these dominions and kingdoms and, and all these things, but you're going to get a cloud. I'm just going to give you, I, I, I don't love you. I, I only love you a little bit. I'm only going to give you a cloud and a harp and a flute or a trumpet. You, you pick your choice on a musical instrument, but that's all I'm going to give you because I, I don't love, I, I'm not a God of love. No, that's a complete false doctrine not taught anywhere in the scriptures. Paul clearly teaches in Ephesians and Romans, other places, that we will become joint heirs with Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ inherited all things that the Father has. So if we inherit all things that Christ has, Christ inherited all things that the Father has. Kingdoms, principalities, dominions, powers, all these things are indeed those who, who are his, his faithful children and who faithfully keep his commandments. Okay, let's continue on. And uh, verily, uh, in verse 21, verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye abide by my law, ye cannot attain to this glory. Now he says here and defines eternal uh, uh, lives here, right? Well, let's look at 23. But if you receive me in the world, if while living upon the, on the world, you receive me, you receive my servants who are sent to my name, you receive my apostles that are sent in my name, the missionaries that are sent in my name, you listen to the gospel messages they teach you, you embrace me, you get baptized by those who hold the priest and authority of God, you go to the temple and receive further blessings, you continue to hunger and thirst after me, to keep all my commandments to the best of your ability, I for, I will then save you through grace. And I says here, and uh, and re, you shall receive your exaltation. That where I am, ye shall be also. What a glorious truth that is! 
This is eternal life, to know the only wise and true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. I am he, receive ye therefore my law. And then, of course, blessings and cursings, no neutrality. We look at this all the time. You're either blessed or you're damned. You're either blessed or you're cursed. You know, there's no neutrality. He says, so 25, broad is the gate and wide the way that leadeth to the deaths. And many there are that go in there because they receive me not, neither they do they abide in my law. And then again, right back in 26 again, if a man marry a wife according to my word and are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, you know, you haven't been married in the temple. You know, so again, you know, they show, you know, come forth in the first resurrection and enter into their exaltation. And uh, now let's look at. Um, uh, 28 through 32. I am the Lord thy God and will give unto thee the law of my holy priesthood, as was ordained by me and my father before the world was all of these uh, things were. Uh, you know, God doesn't just suddenly change the rules along, you know, along during their lifetime, right? All his commandments, all his blessings, all the laws were, were foreordained, set forth, presented to us already in the pre-existence before we even, even came uh, into this world. Before we were born as a baby, we had already been presented these things and, and the promises and the blessings and the cursings, whether we lived or, or failed to live up to these covenants and the commandments of God. He says here in uh, 29, Abraham received all things whatsoever he received by revelation and commandment, by my word, saith the Lord, and hath entered into his exaltation and sitteth upon his throne. Father Abraham is not an angel. He is a God. He sits on his throne as it declares here. Abraham received promises concerning his seed and of the fruit of his loins, from whose loins ye are, namely, my servant Joseph Smith, which were to continue so long as they were in the world and as touching Abraham and his seed out of the world, that they should continue both in the world, he has thousands of descendants, right? And out of the world, he shall have thousands and millions of spirit children. They shall continue as innumerable as the stars. What a mighty blessing. Huh? Or if you were to count the sand upon the seashores, you could not even number Abraham's posterity. This promise is yours also, Joseph Smith, because ye are of Abraham. And the promise was made unto Abraham, and by this law is the continuation of the works of my father. So that's the worst of the father to continue to produce spirit children and to populate and fill the worlds of, of the universe. Wherein he glorifieth himself in this. Go ye therefore and do the works of Abraham. Enter ye in my, into my law and ye shall be saved. Let's look at the second half of 37. And we learn now, not just is Abraham a God and sits exalted on his throne, but look at this. As Isaac also and Jacob, they did none other things than that which they were commanded. And because they did none other thing than that which they were commanded, they have also entered into their exaltation according to the promises. 
and sit upon their thrones and are not angels, but are gods. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are gods. They're not sitting around floating on a, on a cloud, playing the harp or playing the trumpet. They sit upon a throne as exalted uh, beings, full of glory and honor and, and uh, majesty, right? Okay, now we're going to learn about King David here in verse 39. And what a sad case this is, right? This is the mighty King David. The King David who went to giant Goliath, right? And it was determined that God would deliver Goliath into his hands, that he would cut off his head, that he would, because he was defying the armies of God, the armies of Israel. That David. 39. David's wives and concubines were given unto him of me by the hand of Nathan, my prophet, and others of the prophets who had the keys of this power. And in none of these things did he sin against me, save in the case of Uriah and his wife. Now, what, what happened there? Remember that uh, uh, when Uriah was off in battle, he sees Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, uh, bathing in the naked in public. We're not told too much more details about that, but David's instead of being out with his armies, as the kings in ancient times always led their armies in battle, David had stayed home. He was on top of the. So if he had been first on the right place, he should have been out with the army. This would not have happened. But he's wondering, he's walking around on top of his palace, and he sees this naked Bathsheba, and he's carried away in the in the lust of his eyes and heart, and he calls for Bathsheba. He ends up getting her pregnant. Uh, when they find out, uh, he tries to bring Uriah back and uh, tries to get this Uriah, he eats dinner with Uriah, tries to get Uriah to go home and make love to his wife, Bathsheba, so they could then try to claim that the baby was Uriah's instead of King David's, right? But he's such a faithful man, he sleeps at the on the stairs uh, outside the palace of the king instead of going home to his beautiful wife, uh, Bathsheba, right? So poor David now is, you know, about to make further horrible mistakes. So now he sends a, a letter to his general to put Uriah basically in the front to, of the battle to make sure that he gets killed off. Now, this all is a sad, a sad uh, uh, tragic event. You remember that the promise to David was that anything he wanted, God would have given him. Anything, it says. If you take that literally, what would that mean? Well, that would mean that if he had simply, instead of doing it himself, if he had just asked God and, and relied upon God and to fulfill his promised blessing that, that he wanted Bathsheba to be one of his wives. If we take that promise uh, literally, God would have given him. God would have given Bathsheba to David. He could have easily had arranged for Uriah to die off in the battle, which he ended up dying in a battle anyways, right? God could have easily done that. That would have been the proper way for David to have done this, would have been to ask God and rely on, on God to perform it. But instead, he took it upon himself to, instead of bringing Nathan involved, as he did with his other wives and concubines, he had the prophet seal uh, him to, to his other wives before engaging in the sexual act. If he had just done that here and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, had one of the prophets uh, 
uh, Sil, um, Bathsheba, to uh, David once his, her uh, husband had been killed off. You know, that would have been a whole different thing. But instead, no, he commits adultery, bad enough, and he could have repented of that. That he could have repented of. But what he does now is now he becomes responsible not only for the adultery, but also for the murder of Uriah. And for that murder, he cannot be forgiven in this world. He shall be, you know, we're told he'll be forgiven the world to come, but now he only becomes, gets let out of spirit darkness, out of the darkness, out of spirit hell and prison, spirit prison and hell. And then he can go live in a telestial kingdom. So we continue the verse here. He says, none of these things, by having Nathan and the other prophets marry him off to these other women, and none of these things uh, did he sin against me, save in the case of Uriah and his wife. And therefore he, the mighty David, the David who wrote many of the Psalms in the book of Psalms and poured out his heart and soul unto God in creating these songs, the same David who killed Goliath to fight against the uh, you know, the, the fight for the battle of, for God, for God's army. That David has what? Fallen from his exaltation and received his portion already. The promise that he'll be led out of spirit prison at some point into the celestial kingdom. And he shall not inherit them, his uh, promised blessings, his exaltation, his wives, out of the world. For I gave them unto another, saith the Lord. I took his wives and gave them to someone who was worthy of them. What a what, what a tragedy, right? I am the Lord thy God, and I gave unto thee my servant Joseph Smith, my prophet, the leader of my church upon the earth, an appointment, and restore all things. I commanded you to restore all things. You brought forth the restoration of the true and fullness of the gospel. Ask what ye will. So now he gives David the same promised blessing. Ask what ye will, and it shall be given unto you according to my word. What a mighty blessing. How would you like to so live your life that God would say, you know, whatever you ask, I will fulfill it. Okay, so that's uh, what we got there. And um, let's look at Joseph Smith's blessings now in verse 45 through 50. Says, for I have conferred upon you, and he's remember, he's done this dozens and dozens of times, right? For I've conferred upon you, Joseph Smith Jr., the keys and powers of the priesthood, wherein I restore all things. He just said that already. Now he's saying it again, right? And make known unto you all things in due time. And verily, verily I say unto you, that whatsoever ye seal on earth shall be sealed in heaven, the keys of sealing. And whatsoever ye bind on earth in my name and by my word, saith the Lord, it shall be eternally bound in the heavens. And what, whosoever sins you remit on earth shall be remitted eternally in the heavens. And whosoever sins you retain on earth shall be retained in heaven. And again, verily I say, whomsoever you bless, I will bless. And whomsoever you curse, I will curse, saith the Lord. For I, the Lord, am thy God. And again, verily I say unto you, my servant Joseph Smith, that whatsoever you give on earth and to whomsoever you give anyone on earth, by my word and according to my law, it shall be visited with blessings and not cursings and with my power 
saith the Lord, and shall be without condemnation on earth and in heaven. For I am the Lord thy God, and will be with thee even unto the end of the world, and through all eternity. For verily I seal upon you, here we go, what a glorious, the, the, the ultimate blessing in life, remember, and all of us can have this same experience. That is a promised blessing of God that we can all share in this to have Heavenly Father speak to us individually and say, I seal upon you your exaltation and prepare a throne for you in the kingdom of my father with Abraham, your father. Joseph Smith has received the more sure word of prophecy. Joseph Smith has received his call and election made sure. He knows from this part, from this point going forward, he is sealed up into eternal life unless he commits and sheds innocent blood, that he will be sitting on a throne with the with Father Abraham and sitting with Jesus Christ on his throne and the Father on his throne. He says, Behold, I have seen your sacrifices, Joseph Smith, and will forgive all your sins. I have seen your sacrifices and obedient to that which I have told you. Go, therefore, and I will make a way for your escape, as I accepted the offering of Abraham and of his son Isaac. Now look at uh, 52. Uh, let's see, 50, 50. Now he starts talking about Emma Smith, right, and the obligations and covenants and that, that Emma Smith has as Joseph Smith's uh, wife. And look at verse 56. And again, verily I say, let my handmaid forgive my servant Joseph his trespasses, and then shall she be forgiven of her trespasses. I, the Lord, will forgive whom I will forgive, but if you, it is required to forgive all men. We are commanded to forgive the trespasses, the sins, the weaknesses, faults of our husband or wife, right? Just how many marriages could be saved in this world? And people just learn to forgive one another. Just basic, simple things that the eight-year-olds, you know, and the little kids should know how to do, learning to forgive each other, right? So it says, you know, you forgive my servant Joseph, and I will forgive you, Emma. He says, uh, uh, and I, the Lord thy God, will bless her, Emma Smith, I will bless her and multiply her and make her heart to rejoice. She shall be happy. Great blessings to the prophet's wife here, Emma Smith. And now let's look at 66. And uh, now, as pertaining to this law, this law of temple marriage, verily, verily, I say unto you, I will reveal more unto you hereafter. Therefore, let this suffice for the present. Behold, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Amen. What a glorious lesson once again we had today. We have learned the things that have been hidden uh, and what Satan has desired to keep hidden from the world throughout most of the human history. This great knowledge and wisdom to know that we can be sealed up unto eternal life and exaltation with our husbands or our wives, that we can sit upon thrones as gods and be over the angels to sit next to the fa father Abraham, next to father Adam, next to Isaac and Jacob, next to Jesus, 
and God the Father, all sitting upon thrones of glory and majesty as we have overcome the world through the blood of the Lamb, through Jesus Christ atoning, uh, sacrifice for us, having shed his blood for us to give us that opportunity to repent of our sins, to come unto him, to embrace his glorious gospel, to become a member of his church and kingdom upon the earth, and to decide that we want to have his blessings. We want him to bless us. For when many of you need to understand, some of you who have put this off for many years now, you've heard the voice of God speak to your hearts and your minds to bear testimony to you of the truthfulness of the church, that this church is God's church upon the earth. You've heard the Holy Ghost speak to you to tell you that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God, to tell you you need to become a member of his church. But you continue to resist the Holy Spirit of God, which is a very dangerous thing because we're told in the scriptures that the more times you continue to resist the Holy Ghost, you can soon get to where you can no longer hear the Holy Ghost speak to you. That's why it's important that when we have these promptings, we listen and we immediately obey. For those of you who are not yet members of this church, Jesus Christ Church upon the earth, now, as the Bible says, is the day of your salvation. Now is the day for you to, to make that determination. Choose ye this day whom ye will serve, as Joshua said. Whether you will come unto Jesus Christ and embrace him and receive his promised blessings. Or if you will continue to reject Jesus Christ. Continue to put it off. Well, maybe tomorrow. Well, maybe next year. Maybe in five years. Maybe I'm just not ready yet. No, the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. God desires to bless you today. He doesn't want to wait five years. He doesn't want to wait till tomorrow. He wants to begin blessing you today. May you go forth and click on the link in, this, in the description of this video to contact the missionaries. Let them know that you are ready to repent of your sins, to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and God of your lives, and to join his church. Missionaries will instruct you and teach you the basic things you need to do and help you prepare for that glorious day in which you can become a baptized member of his church and kingdom upon the earth, being baptized by those who hold the priesthood and authority of God. That will be the greatest day in your lives up to that point of time. From, from then on, you will know and have that spirit bear witness to you that what you just did in the waters of baptism is pleasing to your heavenly Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they are seeing your heart, that they want to bless you now because of your faithfulness and your diligence and your willingness to take upon yourself their name the name of Jesus Christ, and become a member of his church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I bless you with the strength, with the courage to be able to go forward to make this simple decision with eternal ramifications, with eternal blessings attached to such a simple, basic decision. I bless you with that strength and courage to be forward 
to, to go forward, to reach out to the missionaries. For those of you who have drifted into inactivity over the years and are coming across this video, there are millions of videos throughout the social media that you could rather be watching. Why do you think God led you to this video today? Think about that. How are you led to this video today? Out of all the things you could be watching, all the music videos, whatever other uh, documentaries or whatever uh, uh, comedian shows or uh, funny clips that may be on uh, on, on the uh, social media at this time, you were led to this video so that God could speak to your heart, speak to your mind, well, and, and extend to you the invitation to come back to the church, come back to him. He stands at the door. He knocks. But you've got to get off that chair. You've got to get off that couch. You've got to come over and open that door and let Jesus Christ into the, through the door of your hearts. I know God will bless you if you will do this simple thing. You will have that joy and happiness once again in your lives. For those of you who feel that uh, God doesn't love you anymore because you've committed sins in your life, that you've committed mistakes in your life, that somehow you're beyond the uh, love of God, I testify to you as directly and as clearly as I can. Such a philosophy comes from Satan's mouth himself. That is nothing but pure lie. That is not true at all. That is not being taught in the scriptures. The reality is, is that God wants to love you with full divine love if you will come unto him. He wants to bless you with all the fullness of his blessings. These thrones, dominions, powers, principalities, exaltations, as we discussed earlier today. Come unto him. He will come unto you. He will bless you. He will lift you up. He will give you the strength and courage to keep his commandments and to come back into the church. Uh, these things I testify. God indeed restored his church to the earth through the hands of the prophet Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith indeed was his living prophet upon the earth. He is the head of this last dispensation. We are currently led by a prophet and apostles today in this world. Of this I declare my witness and my testimony. I ask God to bless all of you in this time in your lives, that you will be able to meet your basic needs, that he will bless you with, with what you need at this time in your lives so that you can be joyful and happy and successful. We love you. We pray for you. We testify the truth of the things we discussed today. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.